On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be talking about a really troubling report and a troubling story about education. Specifically, why are boys falling so far behind in school here in Hamilton and frankly everywhere around North America and even into Europe? The grades for boys in high schools are way, way, way back. And a man who is an expert on this topic, who has written extensively about it, joins us to talk about why this is happening. Also, we talked to Bob O'Neill about hockey. Is anyone still playing hockey? Is hockey still on? Because I haven't noticed. Well, it is, but we'll discuss that. And the Raptors. And maybe even talk about a few other things. Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Hamilton girls continue to surpass boys on provincial literacy tests. The story pointed out that the average difference between girls and boys in high school, their high school grades right now, is 14.2% in favor of girls. Girls' grades are on average 14.2% higher than boys. And this would be a really interesting local story, local phenomenon, if a quick Google search didn't discover a disturbing trend. This is happening everywhere, all across Canada, all across the United States, in England, other places as well. Just here in Ontario, the uh, we're higher than the average, but the average in Ontario is 11.8%, and that's rising. It was up from 9.6% just back in 2014. So while we are encouraging the empowerment of girls and encouraging girls to go into STEM courses and STEM areas of study and pushing for equality for girls all over the place, which by the way, are all good things. We seem to be forgetting boys or doing something wrong when it comes to boys, because this is not right. This is not good or both. I don't know. Let me bring in Michael Gurian. He's a counselor. He's a social philosopher and most relevant to what we're talking about today. He's the best-selling author of 32 books, including Strategies for Teaching Boys and Girls, The Minds of Boys, Saving Our Sons from Falling Behind in School, and Life, uh, School and Life, and Boys and Girls Learn Differently. Michael, thanks for doing this today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. These numbers, and again, they're not just in Hamilton. This is everywhere that I was able to find, and it's all over the place, represent, seems like a massive chasm between boys and girls. What's going on? Yeah. Well, you know, in 1979 is when girls, uh, when it flipped, when girls moved ahead of boys, and, um, and it's been that way and growing in in um in all the markers in all the industrialized countries the pisa you know pisa comes out once every 2 years this is a uh, test from around the world all 72 industrialized countries girls are ahead of boys the um, the stem gap um still exists in a few countries but it's just a point or two uh in favor of boys and in most countries it's it's leveled but the literacy gap which is part of what you're referring to and I read the article thank you for sending it to me that um that gap is um, huge all around the world. So, so we've pretty much closed the STEM gap, but we've expanded the literacy gap. And, and, and all across the board, boys get 70% of Ds and Fs in schools, only 50%, 45% of As. So um, we do have a problem, and we've had it for about 30 years. Is it, it you use the word problem? Uh, some, especially, I guess, if you've got a son who's struggling, or if you were someone, is crisis too strong a word? Oh, I don't think so. I um, I believe I was the first um, back with the minds of boys to to say we have a boy crisis, 
and and that that has stuck. I mean, a lot of people have used Newsweek used that as a cover story. That's been all around. And a friend of mine, Warren Farrell, just published a book called The Boy Crisis. Um, it's it's been a crisis, I would say, for at least twenty years. But we have a lot of political and ideological reasons why it's very hard for our our Western societies, especially, to to dig our teeth into it. Well, and I, people yeah, see it. But yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say, why is it not being treated as one? Because and maybe that's it: political and social and other reasons. Yeah, we're you know we're in a very difficult position. Like for instance, I have two daughters, so you know there's none of us who 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 don't support female empowerment and gender equality, and so I mean I think everyone supports that. But the problem is that uh, that that has blinded us. Uh, so advocating for girls, trying to restructure uh, society to empower girls and women, which is a positive, which I don't see going away, um, has had uh, some profound consequences. And in the middle. Uh, the gaps are created by just simply graduate schools not teaching teachers about the male brain, the female brain, so teachers don't come into schools really knowing how differently the male and the female brain learn. That's in the middle. But at the extreme, we actually have political groups whose whole, you know, their whole concept is that males are defective, males are bad, masculinity is bad, we have to get rid of it. So, so we've got two trends that we're always battling um, one is the lack of academic focus on boys and therefore lack of focus in schools, et cetera. And then the other is just this kind of extreme craziness that's anti-male in the culture that you can barely battle to get people to pay attention to what's going on with boys. Yeah, I was going to say, would I be wrong? Do you think I would be wildly off base if I said that if the numbers were reversed and girls were almost 15% behind in grades, that something would be being done about this? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The concept that, um, and I do an analysis of this in Saving Our Sons, there, we, we had a concept that evolved 50 years ago, and it really worked for 50 years ago. It was the early feminist concept that basically a society is set up to make female second-class citizens, and it, it worked 50 years ago, but, um, and, and it sticks. So anytime we see something, if anything happens regarding girls and women, we jump on that and try to fix that, and really nothing wrong with that. We all want that. But the problem is the concept came along with the other concept, which is that it was males who were bad doing all these bad things. So when we see boys struggling, it's very hard for our Western societies to, to help them because we're so burdened by this idea that we set up 50 years ago that males were the enemy, females were the victims. If we could get rid of that and if we could see that, that um, uh, males and females are both struggling and that right now, Right now, I would much rather be a female growing up in Canada or the U.S. than a male. I mean, it's, it's the, people don't realize how dire the situation is getting for males. And and doesn't mean we rob females, but we've got to switch the frame and realize that where we were 50 years ago with females, okay, that's where we are now with males. What is not? What is in the education system right now, or what are we doing that is not working on the other way now for boys? What's not helping boys do well in school? Because I can't imagine they've just all gotten dumber. No, no, no. You're um, it. You're right. It's the lack of training in how boys and girls learn. Uh, so what we over the last number of decades we've moved toward a verbal literacy platform. It's a sit-down verbal literacy, meaning you know a lot of writing, reading, um, uh, and and that verbal literacy platform favors the female brain. It favors girls. Girls do words on both sides of the brain. They 
their cerebellum is less active than male. The cerebellum is the part of the brain that moves us around, makes us move around, you know, fidget, walk around. Uh, uh, there's, there's a number of about 100 of these brain differences that, that we teach in our Green Institute programs to schools. And when they when the schools go through these, this, these, pro, these programs, which they should get back in grad school or teacher certification, but it's not taught. So teachers come into classrooms, they very quickly realize that, that most of the issues they're having are with boys, and they're very smart. Teachers are really smart, great people, and they start searching around and saying, well, why? Why are so many boys having trouble? Um, I'm being told by the culture that it's girls who are having trouble, but in my classroom, it's boys, you know, and, and that goes on for thousands, tens of thousands of classrooms. Well, when they go through a program of learning male-female brain and nature, nurture, and culture, and all the ways in which boys and girls learn differently, act differently, um, respond differently, they alter their classrooms. And then these gaps that you're seeing, those gaps um, diminish and in some cases disappear. So that's the primary thing that's missing. We have 24 years of our data, um, Green Institute data, and numerous model schools and all this. People can go to greeninstitute.com. They'll see the success and the data. And, and that's what happens. So they have these gaps, but then when they go through the process of getting the training that they're lacking, um, they alter things. They alter the classroom. They don't rely as much on this verbal literacy platform. They allow more movement. They do more spatial stuff, you know, all this other stuff. And, um, and the boys do better on the test. They do better in grades. They're not sent to the principal as much. It just improves the whole climate of the school. So what do you do, for example, in Ontario, where we have curriculum and styles and educational models that are handed down, that are mandated by the government, that you must do this literacy-based education and this uh, math is not just math now, it's problem-solving and experiential math and all these things, which all seem to fly in the face of boys' learning. What do you do? Well, um, okay, so not all of it flies in the face. Some of it just needs adjustments. And, um, uh, and a lot of it is at the strategic and tactical level in a classroom. So, so what we're talking about here is not a new curriculum. We're talking about a different way of teaching, a way that, it, that includes boys, that's inclusive of the male learning style. And that's more strategic and tactical, right? That does not require a change in the curriculum. And, and what, we, what we do when we approach or, or people who hire us approach school districts is, is they say to them, well, well wait a minute, if you're really going to be inclusive and you're going to um, uh, be diverse, then here are the populations that you now have to be inclusive and diverse with. And those populations are boys, boys of color, um, you know, and then different racial groups, et cetera. And when they see that, when they disaggregate the data and they say, oh, wow, diversity has changed in 50 years diversity and inclusiveness now means we've got to include boys. As they make that shift and as the teachers get just, you know, nitty-gritty training in, in the strategic tactical stuff in their classrooms, the shift occurs without, without a, a massive change in, um, uh, in a curriculum. You, uh, you mentioned that I, I sent you the article from The Spectator. You read it. One of the things in there, the Hamilton Public Board has decided specifically against doing anything for gender-based approaching of this. They've decided to go with a socioeconomic-based approach. Is that missing the mark? Do they need to rethink that? Yeah, they do. Again, I've seen this for decades, right? We've been doing this for decades. And we find when people are, feel it's a political hot potato to help boys, um, you know, then they're not going to really help boys. But the, but the socioeconomic can work up to a point. So um, because boys in poverty, girls in poverty, uh, lower socioeconomic, they do bring to the table a number of issues 
that, that need help that will overlap if they look at boys or gender-based, um, uh, like trauma, trauma-informed teaching, that will overlap, um, uh, fatherlessness, you know, a number of things will overlap. But if they, if they only use socioeconomic and they avoid gender-based, which means training teachers in male-female brain difference and all of that, um, yeah, they won't, they won't solve the problem. Wish we could do another hour or two on this. We could easily do it. Uh, but if people are, are interested and want to keep reading, Michael Gurian, uh, G-U-R-I-A-N.com is his website. There's lots on there. There's links to all of his books. Uh, Michael, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this today. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for doing this. It's, uh, it is a topic that is really, really troubling. And if you don't think so, then I think you've got to rethink it. Because if we have now one group that is falling vastly behind... Forget the politics, forget the philosophical fights and everything, flip the tables. And we did once upon a time flip the tables and say, no, we got to have girls catch up. Well, now we need to have things that make boys catch up. And I don't think it's an acceptable answer to say, oh, well, that's not an answer. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Let me bring in our good buddy, Bubba O'Neill from CHCH Sports just got off the air, looking beautiful as always this evening on CHCH. Sir, how are you tonight? Not bad, sir. Not bad, sir. I know this sort of dates back to your program yesterday. I know you were playing the odd cover songs, and the song you were just playing for your trivia question, quite honestly. I mean, I know Sinatra's huge, and he's the man, and the crooner, and, you know, was, uh, you know, a, a period piece for, what, 30, 40 years? Once played at Cops Coliseum. Yeah. Wow. I didn't yep. know that. I wasn't there, but uh, I will It was during the toupee years. The song that you just played there, which I can't reveal the name, obviously, because your trivia question. Well, my, no, I, my way was the name of the song. You just can't give away the next lyric. Okay. But, uh, to the point, though, I prefer the other version of that song, going back to, you know, kind of to what you, were, you did yesterday. There are lots of other versions, and some of them are very, very good. Frank's is very melancholy. I yeah. mean, it is really, it's as if, honestly, it's as if he sang it thinking, you know what, on the day that I die, this is the song <laughs> that every radio station is going to play. i got to have a song like that for when I die. Yeah, well, maybe you should find your producer, get your producer on a little tax there, because the real version of that song that was better was the one that was done by the Sex Pistols. <laughs> yeah, by Sid Vicious. It's slightly different. <laughs> hey, speaking of music, by the way, we've got the Raptors game, first game against Milwaukee coming up tonight. And yeah. because of that, Milwaukee radio stations have said they are not playing any Drake until the end of this series. And to that, I say, I want to move to Milwaukee. Way to go, Milwaukee. You guys are the smart ones. No Drake. Yeah, well, as we, you know, we kind of had that story on the news this <laughs> evening. And, and as I, you know, lamented, like, yeah, well, good for that station. Because, I mean, quite honestly, Drake is, you know, the number one I guy. In the, and, if, and if they want to lose ratings, I mean, in, in a competitive radio world, go ahead and don't play Drake. Somebody pointed out that... Well, okay, what's Toronto supposed to r- respond with? And like who are the who are the big acts from Milwaukee? And the best that someone could come up with was Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> yeah, well, actually the band Lenny and is, Squiggy. The, 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 and and Happy Days I believe would be yes, involved too. The Cunninghams. Um, but, but if you're looking at music, I think the Violent Femmes uh, mm-hmm. were based out of Milwaukee. So, uh if you want to, you know, uh, that was it. Why can't you get one more kiss? <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that Potsy and Ralph Malf at one time played on the stage at Arnold's. So I'm sure that we can ban that song and call it even. And the Schlemiesel Schlemazel from Laverne and Shirley, we'll have to ban that one. There's not a lot of great music from Milwaukee, as far as I can tell. Good, not bad beer, good dairy. 
okay cheese. Bratwurst is excellent. Music, not so much. No, like I said, the Violent Femmes is as good as it Violent Femmes, yeah. And, and we, we eschew violence on this show. <laughs> Listen to me, Violent Femmes, Sex Pistols. <laughs> yeah, what is going on with you? Uh, you don't want to combine those two names. You don't want the Violent Sex Pistols or the Violent Sex Femmes. Then you're into something entirely weird. It will both be off the air. Yeah, probably. Uh, let me ask you this. Now, I am, and I'm being very serious about this, in no way, it's almost poetic in some ways, and I, in no way am I reveling, happy about glorifying, anything like that, anybody's death. But I thought that it was in a weird way interesting that today was the day that Rob Babcock passed away. And it, it's a very sad story because he was a young man. He was only 66 years old. But once upon a time, the general manager of the Toronto Raptors, who, as you heard in the news, best known for his trade of Vince Carter, which really for a generation set the franchise back and really put the Raptors in a bad spot for a long time because the guys that he got were not all that helpful. It's almost poetic that when the Raptors set out to begin their run into uncharted territory that could change the course of this franchise, it happens on the day that he is gone. And, and it is crazy, um, and it's so unfortunate for him because, you know, if he was just a guy that had, was a run-of-the-mill guy in the NBA, you know, I think we could probably poke a little bit more fun. But here's a guy that, you know, spent you know over 20 years working with different teams in the NBA. In fact, I think he had a 12-year, played a dozen, a dozen years in, in Minnesota. Uh, you know, in different uh, capacities. So, I mean, the guy was an NBA guy. And didn't I, want to trade Carter. I, and, well, I don't think the whole franchise didn't want. But I, it was a tough situation. And really, when you look at the Raptors, it's, it's one of these situations that still to this day, people will either have either forgotten him or forgiven him, or they're still angry with Vince Carter for what happened in that six-month period of him not wanting to be here and wanting to be traded, the Raptors not wanting to give up a tremendous asset, and full knowing that because Vince had cornered them, that they could never get the true value for right. him. And, and really, Babcock did the best he could in, in, in a deal with a couple of expiring contracts. Alonzo Mourning comes to, to mind who said, oh, I'm never playing in Toronto. So uh, they got nothing for him. Right? No, and I think Toronto fans and Toronto sports fans and Hamilton sports fans, probably when they hear Rob Babcock's name, it kind of is in the same area as John Ferguson Jr. It's just one of those guys that you don't think about him often, but when the name comes up, you go, oh, you know, yeah. just, oh, that, that guy. guy. Exactly, that guy. Yeah. And you don't even, and, and you know what? If most people said Mike, uh, Rob, see, I just did it. If most people said Rob Babcock, people might even click over and go, what are you talking about Mike Babcock for? Because there's another guy in town. But yeah, there, that's, so it's very sad. He was, he was only 66 years old. He'd been battling cancer. Not, not, not laughing about the timing or anything like that. It's just, it's weird to me. It's, it's, it's like a strange sign or something that maybe this is the poetic moment that the franchise finally turns the corner because they've got the opportunity in the next week or week and a half, they have an opportunity to completely rewrite the franchise. Yeah, well, they certainly do. And, and people have to remember too, that, I mean, everyone's like, you know, this is the first, this is not, this is the second time that they've ever been to the conference final. And But a way better team. This is know, a way better team uh, than they had Absolutely. Been. And they weren't facing LeBron like they did. And even then, at that time, they pushed the Cleveland Cavaliers to six games. Um, but this is a different beast. This is a different team. 
you're talking about the number one and two teams in the NBA with 50, 60 and 58 victories going head-to-head, both with accomplished stars. One, you know, slightly younger than the other, who most likely will be named the NBA MVP this season. It's such a wonderful, um, I, I think, matchup because both teams are up-tempo, both like to shoot the three, and again, you've got these two big stud players, and I know that the Raptors lost three of four in the regular season, but both teams are very different than they are right now, and and I would say both teams are better than they are. And both with those stars with names that nobody can spell. I, I did I not spell for you? Not you did once upon a time. You're you're unique that way. But tell me, Kawhi, W first or H first? <laughs> it's W. Okay. See, I bet you that if I asked people, most. 50% at least would get that wrong, because no, it would be a I guess. Told, it would I, I be a guess. I totally agree with you. It's, 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 it's like Brett Favre. You look at it, it it's right. doesn't it's look right. It should be Shafavra. Shafavra. Favre. <laughs> and if I went on the street and said, uh, spell Jonas Atentacumpo, and I said, I'll give you $1,000 if you can spell it in your head on the first try with no do-overs, that $1,000 would come home with me. Yeah, you got to be pretty good. I, I, either that or like really, really, really up in your NBA on that. And of course, I'm a sportscaster, so it's it's really come to me more by repeating. Um, and and if you like, if you if you ask that question and they respond by spelling out the Greek freak, you might get a pass there too. And as a sportscaster, the beauty of it is it's such a rhythmic sort of melodic name almost that even if you can't say it, if you just make some noises and make it bounce a little bit, people will you'll do sell it. Giannis, I thought the Kabobumpo. <laughs> and, and nobody's even going to know that you got it wrong. It's just, it sounds close enough. Oh, okay, I got it. That, I you know, know who you mean. I, I'm going to say probably about a year ago in the summer that many Canadians were struggling with the same thing in the tennis world with Denis Shapovalov. You were on here, and I could not say his name that day. I, for whatever reason, it would not come out of my mouth. Shapovalov. <laughs> you know, but I, again, once you learn how to say yep. it, I think it sticks in your brain. It's like and, riding and, a okay. bike. That's the way you say it. Okay, so this series is getting going. You've talked about the two stars in the series. It starts tonight at 8.30. You've got Kawhi Leonard for the Raptors. You have got Jonas Atentacumpo. How do you say his first name? I can't even say Giannis. Giannis, thank you. Now I'm having a brain block on this Yanni. I know how to, yeah, that's right, the other Greek guy. Uh, They look slightly different, but there you go. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, those guys clearly, I think, undisputably, the two best players on the court, and I think the most important players on the court. But I read a piece this week, yesterday, arguing that Kyle Lowry is the most important Toronto Raptor. Is there any defense for that argument? Uh, Okay, and it's funny because um, is he the most valuable? No, Kawhi is. But I do understand where, I guess, that author or that columnist was going with this. Because, one... I understand the secondary scoring, but there's also the defensive aspect of the game, taking those block charges, moving the basketball with the I would say, even even to back him up, I would still say, again, Kawhi is definitely the leader on the team, the leading scorer, but the heart of the team, the guts of the team, I do believe is Kyle Lowry. Uh, he's the guy, that, that blood guts guy. He, like I said, remember, look at his size, too. That game seven, how many block charges did he take that caused that forced turnovers, that caused penalties to be, uh, fouls to be called on the, uh, on the opposing team? I do get that with, without that heart and without that grimy sort of play, especially on defense, and the leadership as well, too, on offense in terms of distributing the basketball and then, you know, cutting to the basket with the odd, with the odd score. I do understand what that columnist is saying. 
See, I don't. Uh, well, I mean, I get what he's saying. I just disagree with it, and the reason is because there have been enough games in these playoffs and previous playoffs where Lowry has disappeared or has not shot well enough and has not been a big factor. I, I would argue... And, those, and Scott, they've lost those games. Mostly. Mostly. And, and, but to the point, okay, so he is very important, but he also he disappears. Uh, to me... I think that Lau- that uh, uh, Leonard and Atentacompo, whatever the Greek guy, uh, they're going to wash out each other. They they're going to be they're going to take they won't take each other out of the game, but they'll yeah. be a, a wash because each one will be fantastic. Right. So it's going to be on who's next, and it's Pascal Siakam who is going to be the guy that determines it for the Raptors. Yeah, and I would agree with you, but I again I'm going to lean that towards scoring, and because I mean uh, Siakam is going to be relied upon for secondary scoring, probably being you know if he can get anywhere in between that 80, 18, 18 to 22 point range, the Raptors should be in a really real good shape. But I do understand the guy that's going to have the possible 10 to 12 points, um, possibly 8 to 10 rebounds, 8 to 10 assists, is going to be Kyle Lowry. And he, they need, he's the motor of that team. And, uh, of going. And, and I mean, let's be honest, as much as I love Kawhi Leonard, I don't think he's the heart of the team. He's that stud guy. He's that. He's the leader offensively. But you do, uh, in it, that's, I think at this point of the season, you need more than the scoring because we have some yep. games this year against Philadelphia where Kawhi provided tremendous amounts of scoring. In fact, he's scoring at a near record pace in the playoffs. But you need that secondary scoring like you talked about, but you also need a little heart. Let me switch over to something else for a minute because you know what? It, it shocked me when I realized this. I was flipping channels, not last night, but the night before, I guess. And I stumbled on a hockey game between the Blues and the Sharks. And you know what popped through my head? Geez, hockey's still on? It's as if when the Leafs fell out of it here, all hockey just ceased. It's like everybody around here just, unless you're a Bruins fan or a fan of one of the teams, it's just, it's like it stopped. It's like hockey no longer exists and they're just carrying on and we don't even care anymore. You know, and you're totally correct on that. And I, I made a comment on one of my sportscasts probably going back a couple of weeks ago, sort of saying that because Toronto's not in this, like, you should be watching these. Like these, I think this is arguably... I mean, I don't know what the best is. I think that would be, uh, I'd have to really think about it. But in recent times, for me, this has been one of the most enjoyable postseasons I've ever seen. The games have been fluid. They've been up and down. The goaltending's been great. The games have been close. Um, I think the teams, how close they are, the fact that we saw so many upsets in the first round, the top four teams and all division winners, gone. And I think the games have been very exciting. Now we, and this is goes to this argument where people say that you know what, Southern Ontario aren't really hockey fans; they're just Maple Leaf fans. And there's some truth to that because you're right. Yet the funny thing is, NBC just released this uh, uh, um, a public um, a statement. Sorry, a press release. The ratings are. I mean, they've had their biggest game ever. That Boston Carolina game after the Kentucky Derby, biggest ever. And the ratings are through the roof in several markets. In fact, all markets, which I thought was amazing. And I know sometimes they twist the numbers or whatever, but the hardcore raw numbers are as big as they've ever been, Scott. Oh, I'm sure that in some of these markets, it's huge. I'm sure in Boston, everybody's watching because, you know, once Boston got past the Leafs, it was like a road to the Stanley Cup Finals. It really was. Not to interrupt, Scott, the the hilarious thing about this 
is you know what the number one market of all of them all of the places in the United States is? Shoot. Buffalo. Oh, not right now. Yes. Really? Buffalo is the number one with all the they can put, you know obviously did all the ratings or whatever and they're like the the largest market or at least the best market for watching all of these games right now up to this point of the press release which I read probably less than a week ago. It's Buffalo. Do the people? It made the, me think. Can you imagine if they had a team that was competitive? Do, do the folks in Buffalo know their team is out? <laughs> no, but they. But I think that's a good thing for the National Hockey League, Scott. People like hockey, and they're yeah. watching it, and that's good news for the league. We you should know, applaud this. Well, I, you know what, hockey we're really not watching. Why the do World they? Hockey championships. Why do they even play the World Hockey Championships? It, it, but, but people around here, now I know in Europe it's, it's probably a big deal, but people around here are probably more interested in their next batch of dandelion removal stuff than in watching World Hockey Championships. Like, there's no interest in this thing, is there? You're right. In Europe, this is seen as a very, very big deal. Um, you look at the crowds in Slovakia, they've been doing fantastic in terms of attendance. And... Uh, again, I think for me, again, and again, I'm sort of, I, I hate, the, well, I don't know if I hate it, but I'm, I've really been tooting the NHL's horn a lot here. Because of the amount of upsets in the first two rounds of the NHL postseason, the teams that are playing in this tournament right now are stacked. You know, you've got, you've got Vasilevsky and, and Kucherov playing for Russia. You know, you've got an outstanding American team. Canada's team's pretty good, too, very competitive. Um, so you would think that the level of hockey that people would be attracted to watching more of this, but I do agree with you. I've had hockey fans here that I would see as very knowledgeable hockey fans at this station that say to me, "Bubs, there's no interest. I just, I, I can't, I can't, you know, I want to know who won and who lost, but I can't sit and watch a game for two and a half hours. This is like the, the Spengler cup in Davos, Switzerland. There the the Spengler Cup is played every year and if again if you were to offer someone $1000 and say tell me two people on the Spengler Cup wow. team they would go uh oh, for the I mean it was many of those guys that played on the Olympic team this year, right? Because you because of the National Hockey League not going to the past right. Olympics, right? So, you know, and, and again, I I was surprised at that too because I thought country a country like Canada would rally around a a, a bunch of guys that you know are some are club hockey players in Europe and a couple of guys have been passed over in the National Hockey League. I thought people would rally around those guys, but I might have been the only one. Well, what's wrong with me? What's, I don't know what's wrong with you. I've asked that question a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the one man in the world who's actually able to spell a tentacumpo without spelling it out in your head. That alone concerns me. Like, Maple Leaf fans should be all over the World Hockey Championships. Do you know who the leading scorer is? No, I have no idea who's even there. William Nylander. (laughs) No, see, Leaf fans, if they heard that, now that they have, they're going to be throwing stuff. Here's a guy who screwed the pooch for the entire season, sucked up $11 million in salary, did nothing, floated around, grew a thick beard, I'll give him that, a thick, lustrous beard with long, beautiful hair, (laughs) <laughs> and did nothing. He was useless. He was like an appendix. He had no purpose on the Leafs. And then he goes to the World Hockey Championships and starts playing like a star. That's 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 not something Leaf fans want to hear. That's just going to antagonize them. Well, 
it just this it's, it should be like an extended training camp for him. So when training camp does come around, he'll be ready to go. Oh, he'll no, he'll be fatigued from all of his skating at the World Hockey Championship and from all of his beard growth. <laughs> He's going to be exhausted, and then we're going to have another six-goal season from Willie and then go to the Worlds and score that many in the first period. What's his contract worth, $7 million a year? Uh, yeah, no, it's, he's, he's, uh, he's a terrific international player. As soon as the NHL expands to Sweden and Finland, oh, man, he's going to be great. When he goes on those road trips to Scandinavia, that guy is going to tear it up. Quick question to you: What do you are you are you pleased with the Shanahan multi-year contract? I mean, six years. Wow, it is. Uh, yeah, and, and we don't know how much. Imagine. Here's what I was thinking about this. We got to go in a second. Here's what I was wondering about this. And they're not going to announce it. I don't think because it's a private company and they don't have to. How much money do you pay Brendan Shanahan oh, over yeah. six years? Because it's got to be it's got to be more than his GM, and his GM isn't making as much as his coach. It's got to be more than his coach. And what's what was Babcock? What's Babcock making? Like six and a half or eight million yeah. a year? Yeah, I kind of thought. I mean, I kind of thought. I, my first thought was five million. It's got to be more. It's got to be more than the coach. It's got to be more than Babcock. You well, have to give the president of the team more than your coach. Well, then that's a wonderful thing for for Mister Mister Shanahan because he's now making more money as an executive with a good GM, and he doesn't have to do much but oversee. But he's making more money than when he was banging his head against other players, you know, with against other players in the National Hockey League as a player. Do you think that when he's not on a TV camera, Brendan Shanahan ever smiles? When he's in an office with some of his guys, do you think he ever cracks a joke and smiles anymore, or has he completely forgotten how to do that now? I, I think he is. I think he. I think he's real good at being a real <laughs> pro on camera. But I think behind the scenes that he, I could see, you know, I think there's you and you and I know a couple of people that were with the Hamilton Bulldogs, an organization for a long time, that are with their public relations department right now, and I hear nothing but good things about him. I think that he practices. I think he goes into his office and listens to like st- old, st- hilarious Stephen Wright comedy bits and forces himself not to smile so he's prepared for when he comes out in public and can look very stoic and sober at all times. You know, it's probably from those couple of years of being the disciplinary chief for the National <laughs> yeah. Hockey League that killed him. All right, well, it's Lowry and Kawhi Leonard, however you spell Kawhi, and Jonas Akentapuntapuno. Now I can't even say it. Now Say it for me. Do yourself a favor. Say Greek freak. Greek, Yeah, the Greek freak. I like Yanni now. Now that you've got me thinking about Yanni, I want to hear that. See, that's what they, that's what the Milwaukee radio stations are not playing Drake. Toronto stations should refuse to play any Yanni music. I, I think that's a good suggestion, Scott. And, and and what's amazing is they already started doing this five years ago <laughs> in <laughs> in preparation. I haven't heard Yanni once, so good good for the Toronto stations for setting the tone early. Uh, it's going to be a fun series, I think. I really do. Bob O'Neill from CHCH. You can watch him tonight. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.